Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12. The chapter tonight is regarding a false confidence. A false confidence. When the Lord first called Ezekiel into the ministry, he warned Ezekiel that he'd be ministering to a bunch of rebellious people. People who were spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. In order to understand God's truth, we have to be obedient to God's will. But Israel wasn't even close to being obedient. Years before, Isaiah spoke to people who were spiritually blind and deaf. And that was the kind of people that Jeremiah was preaching to in Jerusalem. When Jesus was on earth, many of the people that he spoke to were spiritually blind and deaf. And so were the people who Paul preached to. So in order to get the attention of the exiles and stir up their interest, Ezekiel performed two more action sermons. And each one that he gave, uh, that he gave was, there was a message from the Lord. So chapter 12 opens a section where Ezekiel continues to declare that the, the judgment is coming. That judgment is coming. But the people won't believe it. But the important thing here is the proclamation of God's word, regardless of what the people think, say, or, or, or feel. It's telling, it's the giving of God's word. Ezekiel is to make sure that he gives out the word of God. The messages focus on specific reasons why Judah fell. And because it, because it was more than just their stubbornness and pagan worship <clears throat> that had been condemned earlier. There are seven reasons given for the fall of Jerusalem in this section. And there's a short list at the end of chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, and form an outline of a constant theme in this section. God's purpose for laying out these reasons for Judah's judgment and the fall of Jerusalem was because of the people's complaint that they were being judged for the sins of their forefathers. And Ezekiel gave eight more reasons for the exile of the people, to Babylon uh, in his longest message of the book in chapter 16. Verses 1 through 20 covers the prophecy of Jerusalem in captivity. There are four parts to this message. First, the rebellious nature of the people is given in verses 1 and 2. Second, there's the drama of Ezekiel packing up his belongings in verses 3 through 7. Third, Ezekiel explains why he's doing these things. In verses 8 through 16. And last, fourth, there's the drama of the shaking while he eats and drinks in verses 17 through 20. So let's begin now with verses 1 and 2 as he deals with the rebellious people. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, because they are a rebellious house. Sinfulness is what blinded the people of Jerusalem. They refused to consistently, they refused so consistently to listen to Ezekiel's warnings without, uh, about the judgment that was coming. They had intentionally closed their eyes and ears to God. And they refused to understand with their heart and return to him in order for him to heal them because they chose to ignore God and his word. God told Ezekiel about their stubbornness in his vision when he earlier called him to ministry in chapter 2. 
The people rejected all the signs of Judah and Jerusalem's coming destruction. And the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. was a lesson in the consequences of the nation's sin, but Judah didn't learn from it. And similarly, it was representative of the, that was, what was represent, representative of their blindness was the way that Jeremiah's message had been, for the most part, ignored and at one point clearly rejected by Jehoiakim and the priests. And the rise of Babylon and the establishment of Judah as a vassal state or a puppet state under Jehoiachin and Zedekiah was in 597 B.C., failed to bring about any sign that the leaders or people were ready to listen to God's prophets. Instead, they chose to stay rebellious and hard-hearted, just like God had told uh, Ezekiel that they would. And because that's what sin does. That's what sin does. It blinds the heart. It messes up the mind. Therefore, clouding your judgment. Remember like Samson, when we were studying uh, the character of Samson, who couldn't see that the path that he had chosen was leading him to the loss of his ministry? You see, the sinner doesn't see the ultimate consequences of sin that brings death and destruction upon them. Five times in this chapter, verse 1, verse 8, 17, 21, and 26, Ezekiel says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying... So it's pretty obvious that Ezekiel is trying to tell these people that he's giving them God's word. That he's giving them nothing but God's word. Now, yes, God had warned Ezekiel before, you know, about these people. He told them they were going to be hard-hearted. He said they were going to be stubborn. But he's reminding him. God is reminding him because Ezekiel might get discouraged. God said way back at the beginning of Israel's history in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. These people had their eyes and ears closed to God. Ezekiel wasn't the only prophet who confirmed, confirmed this truth about these people. So did Isaiah and so did Jeremiah. Also in the book of Acts, in chapter 28, verse 26 through 27, the book closes with these words. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I, God, should heal them. So these people had closed their eyes and their ears to God. Today, when people say they can't believe God's word, it's not a mental problem. It's not a learning disability. It's a matter of the will of the heart. They don't want to. They won't believe. They don't want to believe. Some say, well, you know, I have certain you know, problems, certain reservations about, you know, the Word of God. You know, they have these mental hurdles that, that, they, that they just, they can't jump over, they say. Well, you know what? Our mind, you know, they, your mind, our mind isn't big enough to take even one little hurdle. The problem is never in the mind, it's the will. There's sin in the life. And a man doesn't want to turn to God. He doesn't want to believe God. He doesn't want to obey God. 
And Israel is just a mini version of the world. Israel's condition that's described here is the condition of the world today. And it's the condition of the people's hearts today, many people's hearts. In Israel's spirit of unbelief, she was a miniature version of the whole world. And that's why we need to look carefully at what the book of Ezekiel has to say to us. You see, it's not that the people can't believe him. It's that they won't believe him because they don't want to give up the sin in their life. Now, there was blindness to some degree that had happened in Israel. And this is true of our world today. But because of Israel's unbelief, Ezekiel isn't just going to give the people an action sermon. He's actually going to act it out. Look at verses 3 through 7 now as he packs his bag. Verses 3 through 7. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity uh, by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in, in their sight, like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight, and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day, as though going into captivity, and at evening I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. So in verses 3 through 7 here, the Lord instructed Ezekiel to play the part of a fugitive that was escaping from a city that was surrounded by the enemy. Now, part of his action sermon took place during the day, and part of it took place in the evening. And the nosy but troubled Jewish exiles watched this strange behavior. First, Ezekiel packs a bag with just the basics for a journey. And then he takes it outside during the day and he hides it somewhere away from his house. Then he comes back to his house and that evening he digs through one of its walls, probably from the outside wall so that people who were watching could see what he was doing. Houses were made of sun-dried bricks so it wouldn't be that hard to dig through the wall. And after that, Ezekiel picks up his bag, goes into the house climbs out to the hole he had just dug while his face was covered and couldn't see the land that he was leaving. Now in verses 8 through 16, Ezekiel here explains what he was doing. Verses 8 through 16. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am assigned to you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the walls and carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. 
I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from the famine, and from pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So as the people are watching Ezekiel, you know, this, you know going through this, this action sermon, they ask him there in verse 9, Ezekiel, what in the world are you doing? Packing the bag and then leaving it at a distance from your house. Well, that gave the message that the leaders in Jerusalem were planning to run for their lives. Digging through the wall from the outside of the house was a picture of the Babylonians' army attack on the walls of Jerusalem. And that evening, when Ezekiel climbed out of the house through the hole that he dug in the wall with a bag, with a bag on his back, he represented the Jewish leaders secretly trying to escape from the city to save their own lives. And history tells us that King Zedekiah... His officers and his army escaped from Jerusalem exactly in that way. But then they were chased down by the Babylonians and they were captured. And the Babylonians killed the king, King Zedekiah's son, and officers right in front of King Zedekiah's eyes. Then they put out Zedekiah's eyes and took him prisoner to Babylon where he died. So the very last thing that Zedekiah saw was his sons being killed right in front of him. And then they plucked out his eyes took him to prison where he died in Babylon. The next morning, in the message that followed the action sermon, Ezekiel predicted that these things would happen. And he also announced that even though King Zedekiah would be taken to Babylon, he wouldn't see it. King Zedekiah would be taken to Babylon, but he wouldn't see it. Now, how could that be? Well, it was very simple. Again, as I mentioned, the Babylonians gouged out his eyes and Zedekiah couldn't see a thing. But it wasn't the Babylonian army that captured the king of Judah and his officers. It was God's net that caught them. Look at verse 13. It says, he shall be caught in my snare, God says. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army didn't win because of their own skill and their own power. They were God's instruments to defeat the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Jeremiah had warned Zedekiah, hey, surrender to the Babylonians, back in Jeremiah chapter 38. But again, the king didn't have the faith to trust in God's word and obey it. You see, if he would have just humbled himself and surrendered, then the people, the city, and the temple, and the lives of the people would have been spared. Not only would the Jewish officials... Uh, be killed, you know, their king humiliated, but the people in Jerusalem who survived the siege would be scattered all over the land, and some of them would be taken to Babylon. Once again, this would be the work of God. He said in verse 14, I will scatter them. I will scatter them. And not because these surviving Jews had been especially holy. You see, it was just the opposite. The Lord allowed their survivors to go to Babylon as witnesses and their evil deeds deserved the punishment that God sent to the nation. And this is going to come up again in chapter 14. Now, in verses 17 through 20, we see the drama now, the next action sermon, of the shaky eater, verses 17 through 20. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel. They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread, so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, again, this is, this is quite a show that Ezekiel is putting on. It says he's to, bring to his, he's to bring his table out into the street and he's to sit there and, he's to, and, and with shaking hands, he's to eat and drink his meal. Shaking while he eats and he, while he drinks. Then the people are going to come and they're going to say, Ezekiel, what's the matter with you? Are you cold? Are you sick? You know, is there something wrong? And then Ezekiel's going to give them God's message. You see, he's got their attention. He says, I want you to know what's happening over in Jerusalem. There's a famine over there. There's fear over there because God is destroying the city. I mean, what a humbling message Ezekiel had to bring to the people. Ezekiel's second action sermon here probably took place the very next day after the first one, when it was time for him to eat. Maybe some of the Jews were in the house with him, but most likely he ate outside and he continued the, the fugitive illustration. He was illustrating the terrible condition of the people in Jerusalem during the Babylonian attack because they would have very little food, very little to eat. They would, and, they, and what they had, they would eat it with fear and trembling because it, it, it could be, it just could be their very last meal. So their troubles would be the fulfillment of the Lord's promise in chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Anxiety, worry, fear, and disappointment would take hold of the people as the fall of the city became closer and closer to happening. Now, verses 21 through 28 covers the false proverb. Now, there are two parts to, the mess, to this message, and each starts with the words, The word of the Lord came to me, saying... Look at verses 21 through 25. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says, The days are prolonged and every vision fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, The days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, and I speak, and the word which I I speak will come to pass, and it will no more be postponed. For in your days... O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. The people's hatred for Ezekiel's ministry, and probably Jeremiah's also, may be seen in this popular proverb here in verse 22. Notice he says, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. In other words, you know... Jeremiah said, that, you know, and they said that we're going to be in captivity for seven years. He says, that's not going to happen. You're going to be okay. We're going home soon. And, and, and he says, every vision fails. Everything, you know, that they speak 
you know, it, it's not going to come to pass. And so the, 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 the people were quoting this proverb in verse 22 that was probably thought up by the false prophets. And it was probably thought, up by, thought out uh, by the false prophets to humiliate Ezekiel. You know, to, to tell the people, you know what, the days drag on and every vision comes to nothing. And they're not fulfilled. In other words, Ezekiel is telling us about all of these things that are going to happen, all of these visions that he's having, but nothing ever happens. And so the thinking of the people is, why worry? Ezekiel's prophecies, they won't come true. So they don't mean anything. Don't worry about what he says. Live your lives. Enjoy yourself. The Jews said something like this to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5, 19. When he said, come, come on, Isaiah, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out his plan because we want to know what it is. And you know what? People are saying and thinking the same thing today. They're saying the same thing and thinking the same thing today about the return of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4. Peter said, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days. They're here. Walk, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. One day the prophecies, I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came to test Jesus. And they demanded that Jesus show that, hey, do some miracle, Jesus. Show us a sign from heaven to, to prove your authority. And he replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Matthew 16, 1 through 3. The obvious meaning of this proverb, verse 23, was that the people did not take God's message, uh, the, the word of the prophets, seriously. The people were appealing to the prophetic test of truth in Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. It says, if any prophet falsely claims to speak in my name or speaks the name of another God, must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy, again, Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, but you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give the message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. And I remember the time that uh, these couple of guys come knocking at our door one day and we're talking. And, you know, we're talking about the Lord and the word of God. And he says, well, you know, we have prophets in our church. He said, really? He said, yeah. I said, have they ever made a mistake on the prophecies? Got real quiet. Yeah, I said, well, you know what the Bible says? They're false prophets. We're not to fear them. We're not to worry about what they say because a true prophet of God will never make a mistake. Because you see, he's getting his word from God, not man. He's not to be feared. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were considered prophets of doom by those who didn't want to hear the message or like the message. 
You know, and that's what people say about us when we talk about the rapture and the tribulation period and all the people. Are going, oh, you guys are doom and gloom, man. You guys are so negative. Do you really believe all that stuff? You know, because again, to them, we're, we're gloom and doom people. The message that, 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 that the prophets were giving to the people, you know, and telling them, hey, you know, uh, the false prophets were telling, hey, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. They were giving the people a false hope of restoration. God's response was to give Ezekiel a counter-proverb. Literally, verse 23 would say this. Tell the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will put an end to this proverb, and you will soon stop quoting it. Now give them this new proverb to replace the old one. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. Every vision referred to those Every vision referred to those like Ezekiel's and Jeremiah's that legitimately and truthfully warned of coming judgment and exile. False visions and flattering divinations, like it says in verse 24, would stop. Divination is trying to communicate with the supernatural by observing, you know, natural wonders like the stars and the entrails of sacrificial animals, the clouds, births, and, and manipulating certain things like arrows, oil, water, lots. Those are all, that's all divination or consulting mediums. And because Ezekiel's prophecies hadn't been fulfilled yet or right away, the people weren't paying attention to them. And they were paying attention to the false prophets more than they were the true word of God. The visions of the false prophets were false and they were misleading and they spoke only about comforting and encouraging words. Who doesn't want to hear comforting and encouraging words? You know, that the, that's what the people wanted to hear. That's what they liked to hear. The Lord made it clear, though. He says, hey, they're not gonna, there aren't going to be any more delays. And that word, his word, would be fulfilled. He said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.12, I am watching and I will certainly carry out all my plans. And he told Isaiah that his word always fulfilled the purposes for it, which it was sent in Isaiah 55, 8-11. His word does not come back void. Everything he says shall come to pass. God's word has its appointed time. You see, that's where our problem lies. You know, I've been hearing this for 30 years. And I, when Kathy and I got saved, we talk about that every once in a while. All we heard about was the Lord coming back, the rapture of the church when we first got saved. And you know what? We, we heard it way back then. Hey, it hasn't happened yet, but you know what? It's going to. It's going to. But, you know, we're always looking at our watch. Oh, man, it's been 30 years. I guess he's not coming back. Hey, Jesus said a, a day is like a thousand years and a year is like a thousand, you know, is like one day. So he, they don't, he doesn't live on a clock. He doesn't live on a schedule. You never, you never see God running around in, her, in a hurry or, or, you know, here and running here and there. It's his time, in his time. We just need to look and watch for the signs and know that his coming is near. And we see them all around us. All around us. So the Lord made it clear there's not going to be any more delays, and my word is going to be fulfilled. God's word, like I said, it's an appointed time, and he will never fail. Habakkuk 2 3, he said, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Notice that. 
though it tarries. Though it may take longer than we think or want, it, it, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. The revelation that God gave to Habakkuk was for a future time. And it was about a future time. Now, while the application is at the time, while the application at the time of the writing was to end the Babylonian captivity, the author of Hebrews interpreted it to refer also to the return of Jesus Christ. Led by the Holy Spirit, he changed the word it to he. Because a lot of times the Holy Spirit is referred to as it. he's, He's a person. He has feelings. He has a mind. He thinks. He speaks. So it's not an it. He's a he. And, and, and it was applied to our Lord. Hebrews 10, 37 said, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. You know, when Jesus comes, we're going to think, Man, Lord, what took you so long? He says, It's only been a day. What are you talking about? <laughs> Along with the scoffers that Peter wrote about, Some readers might ask, where is the promise of His coming? And God's reply is, wait for it. It will surely come. A discouraged you in Babylon, in Babylonian exile, they might ask, well, will the Lord come and deliver us? The answer is, yes, wait for Him. And among the exiles, one group said that Ezekiel's words would never be fulfilled. But another group said in verse 27, yes, they will be fulfilled, but not in our time. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen because it will take place a long time from now. Their interpretation was totally wrong. And so was their selfish attitude. Even if the Lord did delay His judgments, how could the Jewish people be happy with the way things were going? knowing that a future generation would be wiped out and the holy city and the temple would be destroyed. They were like, the, like King Hezekiah when Isaiah rebuked him for his pride and warned him that Babylon would conquer Judah. He said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. And the Lord made it clear that Ezekiel's words would be fulfilled very soon. Verse 28 says, the word which I speak will be done. Six years later, the Babylonian army broke through the walls of Jerusalem and Ezekiel's predictions came true. You know, it's really sad when people deliberately ignore or reject the dependable word of God and they put their faith in the empty but comforting words of false teachers. Warren Wiersbe said, it reminds me of a story that came out of World War II. A group of soldiers asked their new chaplain if he believed in hell. And he laughed and he said that he didn't. The men said, well, sir, if there isn't a hell, then we don't need you. But if there is a hell, then you're leading us astray. And that's worse. There's no substitute for God's word. Everybody wants to believe that the future holds better times for us. But the only thing that's better and that lies ahead is the fact that someday the Lord Jesus is going to take his church home. That he's going to take take us out of this world. That's the only real good hope that we have. This world is not going to get better. It doesn't matter who's in office. It is not going to get better. Because the Bible says it's not. 
we're not going to have true lasting peace. In all of recorded history, there's only been about 200 to 300 years of what we could really, what could really be called peace. Man is not building the new peaceful world that he thinks he is. Let's close now with verses 26 through 28. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he promises and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words, notice that, none of my words, God said, will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. Verses 26 through 28 shows us that there are a lot of ways to despise God's word. You know, whether you straight out deny it, or whether you, you know, uh, divert the message to to other times and, and applications. God's response was simple and to the point. As someone said, God doesn't necessarily pay at the end of every week. Nevertheless, he pays. Charles Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon saw in this an excuse that many make to delay their trust in and surrender to God, especially many young people. God knows the foolishness of your plea for delay. He knows that you yourself are doubtful about it and dare not stand to it so as to give it anything like a sincere consideration. You try very hard to deceive yourself into any easy state of conscience concerning it, but in your innermost soul you are ashamed of your own falsehoods. F.B. Meyer said this, They didn't deny that he spoke the word of God, but comforted themselves with the thinking that it was not likely to be fulfilled for some time yet. Jesus, I'll finish with this, said this. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Father, thank you so much as always for your wonderful word. And God, may we remember verse 28. That everyone would underline verse 28. Thus says the Lord God. None of my words will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. Prophecy said that Jesus was coming the first time, and he did. God's word says he's coming a second time, and you can bet your life on it. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. We thank you for the, Father, the, the, the genuineness of your word, the truth of your word, the surety of your word, God. Lord, regardless what people say and what science says, Lord, um, God, science doesn't prove your word. Your word proves science. And Father, help us to keep our eyes on you and in your word, and it may it dwell in our hearts, God, richly. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I was reading.